Hey guys, welcome to Stephen McGrath's Basecraft. So yeah, it's actually roasting here in Ireland. It's 25 degrees. I know that doesn't sound like much if you're from a warm country, but it, that's boiling here. And the thing is, when it's hot in Ireland, your brain actually doesn't, can't really compute it. Like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I don't, I can't sit inside and play bass and practice when it's sunny because you're thinking it's going to rain soon and it's going to rain for like five or six days. And I won't have enjoyed the sun, but it's actually been sunny now for nearly like six or seven days. So that my brain is starting to accept that it's not going to rain and I don't have to soak in all the good weather because it's going to go away. So I'm getting a bit more productive, but for the last week, I have done nothing. I've just been out enjoying the sun because I was afraid it would disappear. But it seems to be sticking around for a while, which is good. So I can play some bass. So that is one advantage of living in a country where it rains all the time because it's not that hard to get into the shed and do a bit of practice because you can't really go outside anyway because it's raining but um also i watched this documentary this week um oasis supersonic and i don't really know much oasis about their music like they completely passed me by when i was growing up but um it was a brilliant documentary one of the best music documentaries i've ever seen and uh, i've never they're one of the most working class bands i've ever like um watched a documentary about they just really just came from completely normal backgrounds and they got like a big break and like every band eventually someone asked them to go do a gig and the right person sees them and boom a few years later well not like every band but every famous band gets a break and becomes big but it kind of had me thinking about like when I was um working in a factory about 10 years ago and it kind of given up on music and given up on anyway making a career out of it and you know, I played a bit of bass at the weekend but that was it that was the extent of my music and um I remember like I would chat to the other guys in the factory about you know back in the day like our our dreams of making it in a band and all this so I was thinking imagine if well if Oasis never got that break would Liam and Noel Gallagher be working in some factory in Manchester now like reminiscing about what if and that who knows like but that's that's the way the music world goes so I think you you can't give up too soon because that next break should be around the corner and as long as you're kind of uh, if I if I could talk to my younger self now, I'd say, you know, don't pack it in. Just keep at it because a break will come. And, you know, break did come. I, I met the lads in Crowbat Chicken and it all kind of worked out. And I got uh, affirmation that, you know, I could do this. Um, I remember I, was work, I used to work beside this guy called Chris. He was like a drummer. I think that was his name. And he, he was one of those guys, you know, I'd given up on making it. But he had some funny stories, like, from when he was younger. He, remember he was saying he was playing the drums in his, uh, his bedroom and he was playing She Bangs the Drums by what's the name of the band who does it I can't remember tell me in the comments and um, he was playing the drums like and his mate was like jumping around the room like saying you're doing it you're doing it you're playing the drums man you're you're a legend you're going to be famous you're able to play the drums to that famous song it's like that when you're younger you're obsessed with making it but you don't even know what making it means and I think for most people these days making it just means you can make a living off your music and you know enjoy your music and make a living off it but anyway, today's guest is Jake Gerba. He is a well-known content creator online. He's created numerous viral videos like a Seinfeld one and a Spider-Man Spider one, Ghostbusters, loads of stuff. He loves dressing up and playing the bass. He, he's a savage bass player, brilliant funk player, slap and all that stuff. He's also released a solo album, Milky Way Moon Juice. It's like a concept album about the funk music being taken away from earth it's really good really enjoyed listening to it and he's also jason Mamoa's bass instructor you know aquaman 
um got he was in game of thrones he was carl drago in game of thrones so yeah i had a great chat with um jake he's he works with a lot of companies like pv and court does stuff for them and has even been playing the bass at the nam boot for pv one time so yeah we just chatted about his bass journey his love for funk Grown, uh, getting into the bass, playing it in his church and stuff like that, and uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. And um, he's really passionate about music. It was I like that about chatting to him. He was just saying how much he loves music, and sometimes he just gets up and dances to to funk music, even when he doesn't have a bass on. So yeah, like and subscribe, all that stuff. Leave a review wherever you're listening to this. It helps, you know. Any app you're on, like this the podcast. Leave a review if you're on YouTube comment like subscribe all that crack and uh, if you want to support what i do i've got new t-shirts in the merch shop and uh, or you could just send me a donation on in my links below so yeah let's just jump in with me and jake and uh, i'll see you in a minute you have your signature hat that's the most important thing oh i do i have my british flat cap you know representing <laughs> the uk here so <laughs> are you a P- peaky blinders fan or was that did the hat come before you know, peaky blinders uh, the hat came way before that. I actually, I've never seen that show. I know of it. I know these are now more popular because of it, but you know, I actually started wearing these more so because of guys like uh, Daniel Craig and stuff, and you know, David Beckham, who are two of my favorite British dudes. So, you know, and it just works. And I'm losing my hair, so you know, we gotta have good caps. <laughs> it looks good, man. So, so yeah, how are you? Well, What's you. going on in your world? Ah. Uh, Nothing out of the ordinary right now. Just, uh, you know, still playing the bass, obviously. Still doing videos and, uh, you know, getting a few marketing things here and there with a few companies. And uh, like I said, you know, a lot of it for me is uh, marketing right now. You know, the different companies or whoever that want to market their product. So you know, well, you're the guy, you're the guy for the viral videos in fairness. If like, yeah, you know, exactly. you know how to make them to get people to share them around and get a good few yeah. views. Yeah. Yeah. And Hey, that's what, that's what these companies look for. You know, they look for people that can do that and then they want their product in it. So, I mean, it's good for me because I get the free gear a lot of times. Yeah. Sometimes I do get paid to do it, but uh, it's, it's what I love to do. So it's like, a no-brainer really it's like i don't i don't try to make viral videos i just make stuff that i enjoy making and you know put my creative spin on it and then hey if it goes viral great if it doesn't oh well at least people still enjoy it either way does that come natural to you like were you the kind of kid that always would dress up and want to be like wolverine from x-men or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know I, i i do enjoy the costumes i do a lot of costume videos and i just feel like especially for the theme songs uh, I just feel like you got to go all out, you know, whether it's X-Men or Ghostbusters or Spider-Man, you know, I feel like the outfit just completes it. And I mean, who doesn't want to see Spider-Man and the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man land down a sweet groove, you know? <laughs> so, so that's, that's just my goofy side. You know, obviously I have a very serious side when it comes to music, but I also have a very goofy creative side that I enjoy exploring. And, you know, if I have an idea that I think will work, uh, and I can, you know, get the whole look and everything, you know, I'll do it. If not, then, then I won't. But as long as it's doable, you know, and I got the green screen too, which helps with the uh, different backgrounds and, you know, creating the whole vibe for whatever song or theme I'm doing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, in fairness, you shouldn't uh, take it away from yourself. Like if, if some guy who wasn't awesome at the base put on a cape 
and played <laughs> it would go viral for different reasons like what the hell is this guy doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you're very right um so you kind of ha- got to have the, the skill set to an extent to back up your goofiness otherwise like you said it just just becomes kind of ridiculous but you know you know so i kind of i like blending the, the cr- creativity and the musicality together and giving people a something entertaining to watch so so you learned bass uh, in church was it that's kind of where you started playing first uh, for the most part yeah um i started playing when i was about 13 years old i actually picked up a guitar first i come from a family of musicians my dad's always played and my my brother's been a drummer since he was three and uh he was very much into uh guitar around that time in his teenage years and then when I became that age, you know, I, I, I really never had any uh, interest in music or playing music, at least before that. Uh, I was more of an artist as in drawing mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. I love to draw. I love to sketch. So I always did that. So I'm not really sure what sparked me to want to get into actually playing music, but something did. And I remember I picked up the guitar first downstairs in the basement and uh, it was cool and all. But I don't know, it didn't feel like me. I didn't feel like it was something that I wanted to play. I mean, it was just, it was a guitar, you know, yeah. it was whatever. So then I found the bass. We had a bass too, an old uh, Ibanez, just a uh, you know, hundred some dollar bass, just a beginner's bass. And I picked that up and I don't know, just something sparked inside of me. I was like, yeah, this is this is the instrument for me. This That's is what it. I want to play. Isn't it? Every yeah. instrument identifies with different people. Like I, I've all, I've always had guitars around me and drum kits, you know, in practice rooms, but I, I just, the, the bass is the only one where I feel at home on. Yeah. Those other ones just yeah. don't do it for me at all. Yeah. I totally feel that. Like I said, I, I, I play guitar and, you know, I dabble into a little bit of everything, but that's basically all it is, is just dabbling. And, you know, whereas the bass, I just feel like completely myself, you know, it's like an extension of me. I really don't have to try. Mm-hmm. It's just, I put it on and, you know, I just go to town and it's just, it just happens. So yeah, ever since then, it was just like, I knew. And uh, yeah. And then I just started learning as much as I could. Uh, I would just, you know, back then I would just go on the internet with our dial-up internet connection, which took forever. Yeah, do, 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 <laughs> and, do, uh, dialing up yep. slowly, waiting there. <laughs> yep, it took forever. But once I got on there, you know, I would just find as many tabs as I could because my musical ear wasn't quite trained and to, um, you know, do it that way. So I'd just look up tabs and, then, you know, I'd sit down in my room and just try and play along to all my favorite songs and figure stuff out. Uh, so I did that for a while. And then I think it was right around that age, 13, 14, uh, my brother put together a little group uh, just to do some covers. So I actually played my first gig uh, back then at a little bar and grill uh, right down the road here. So that was fun. Uh, We just played some covers and and did that, which eventually turned into kind of a bigger uh, band and project. But uh, yeah, going back to uh, church and all that, uh, let's see, I probably started playing in church around 15 or 16. So I had a few years under my belt of just learning and all that. It's quite busy, but, the uh, music as well. You do in the church. It's it's good for your bass. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, especially back then around uh, 2008, 2009, those years, um, we were playing some pretty complicated gospel stuff and we still do. But uh, yeah, I was like, you know, 16, 17 at the time and playing in this church. And that's what really helped me uh, musically, you know, elevate myself to a higher level because I was playing with some really talented people. I mean, played with a guy by the name of John D'Amico, who was just amazing jazz pianist. And he, I mean, when you played with him, you had to be like up here because mm. you, know, you couldn't slouch. And uh, there's another great guitar player by the name of Tim Hightower, who was just incredible. Uh, and then there was actually another bass player that played there. Uh, I kind of went under his wing. His name was Alan Coldiron and just uh, phenomenal players, all of them, just amazing and professional. And uh, so just getting to be around them and play with them, you know, every Sunday just took me to a whole nother level. And that's really what helped me grow as a musician was just uh, listening to them and being able to play with such talented people. Mm. Uh, we played off each other, you know, and listened to each other and we'd, you know, the whole nine yards. And it was just, it was just a great experience. And I'm really thankful that I did get that experience of playing with those guys. Cause it was just, like I said, just amazing in every way. And, um, you know, like I said, the stuff we were playing back then was, it was stuff you really had to like learn and sit down and listen. Cause it had a lot of groove in it, you know, there were complicated gospel pieces and uh, that really helped me too. Um, and like I said, it's, just really great for bass too. A lot of it is the slap stuff and the, yeah. all that funky groove stuff, which I just love. And, Did uh, you always love the funk, like, or were you, was it metal and rock before that? Um, before the funk, uh, I, I, I really, like I said, I really wasn't into music that much. So I was just listening to stuff that was on the radio or hits at the time. And, uh, I was actually big into uh, Smash Mouth's All Star back then. And I actually, that was like one of my first albums I ever got. Was uh, that song is Smash really done the <laughs> Yeah, now it's like a huge joke on the internet, yeah. you know, because of that and Shrek. But I still think that that album's great, Astro Lounge. That was one of my first. I got that in like fourth grade, and I performed it at the fourth grade talent show. Not on the bass, mm. but just like doing a little singing number with my buddy. So. That album kind of has a special place in my heart, but you know, but then middle school hit and you know, I was, I was getting into the bass and I, I went over to my buddy's house, it was sixth or seventh grade. And that's when he put on Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, What Hits album, which had their like best hits from the past like decade or whatever. And uh, the first track on there was Higher Ground, their cover oh, Stevie yeah. Wonder song. And of course it opens with that iconic, you know, slap bass riff and that just blew my mind you know i'd never heard anyone play bass like that up until that point and just hearing that i was like wow i was like i want to play bass like that so that's what kind of started the whole you know funk thing and slapping and uh, the chili peppers and all that so then you know had to buy all their albums and listen learn all their songs and and that whole thing and that that really Helped me go to the next level, elevate me even higher. Because then, you know, obviously I got into Flea and all that, the Chili Pepper stuff, which is just such amazing bass work on his end. I mean, Flea's yeah. just phenomenal. And he evolves and, as well as it goes on, you know, like by the way, he yeah. really changed his style, a lot of pick playing and yeah. slapping, like, which is cool for if you're a fan, then you'll evolve with him. Like, 
yeah, actually, yeah, it's very cool to hear how he evolved over the course of his career and just going from, like you said, all the funky slap stuff to the more like melodic, you know, pick playing and all that. So, yeah, it was just great to, uh, you know, listen to that stuff. And it really helped me develop my skills and improvisation, especially because they're big on that. You know, if you listen to any live Chili Peppers record, they do all kind of jamming and improv. And, you know, that really helped me develop my ear and, you know, really know what to be able to listen for when you're playing with other musicians. But, uh, yeah, the Chili Peppers really... Uh, took my bass playing to another level do, do you have a favorite album or you just lo- like them all equally i, I definitely yeah, my favorite is blood sugar sex magic but it's probably oh, because yeah, it was the first one i got into like but right i mean that one's definitely probably number one for me uh, yeah. californication is a close number two just because there's so many great songs on that record too and uh but blood sugar i mean there's just so many great bass lines on that album so many great songs i mean that's where you know Two of the biggest hits came from "Give It Away" and "Under the Bridge," hmm. and eighteen uh, tracks as well. Sixteen, anyway. It's a, it's a long. Yeah, album. I think six. Yeah, sixteen or seventeen tracks. So it's pretty long, and it's just so much material to really listen to and work with and learn from. And uh, that's what I always liked about Flea and his playing is that it's not necessarily really complicated. It's just very tasteful. Mm-hmm. You know, it just fits the songs very well, and it. He's a great groove bass player, which I love. I love the groove bass players, like especially the seventies guys, like you know Bernard Edwards from Chic and Larry Graham and uh, Lewis Johnson is another one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, ferocious so that, slap technique, hasn't he? He's just oh like, my. attacking the bass. Yeah, thunder thumbs. I mean, when when I saw that guy play slap the bass, I mean, I was just blown away. I mean, he just hammers that thing, mm. and that's how I always like to play too, because. You know, you see some guys when they play slap, they're very, they're very gentle about it. You yeah. know, and that's why I like Lewis Johnson because he just, he just nails that thing. I'm like, yeah, that's that's how you should be slapping the bass. I mean, you should. They don't call it slap bass for you yeah, know. You got it. Well, it's like the two schools have evolved now. It's like the double thumb, and you you have your thumb up yeah. and, and you're e- economical with your hits, and then there's the right. old school where you attack the bass. Yeah, yeah, I'm very much old school. I love I love the seventies and I love those guys, all the funk that came out of that era and all the disco stuff. I mean, that was really the decade for bass players to shine. Mm. And uh, obviously that's probably another reason why I love it so much. But that and the songwriting and the playing, the music was just also great anyways. So those are definitely some of my favorite players. Did and, you ever get some of the, the DVDs the that came out? Like um, all those guys had their own slap DVDs or well VHS back in the day. Yeah. Did you get some of them to kind of learn some of the slap or was it just by ear kind of? Uh, a lot of it was by ear. I do, I do have Flea's VHS, uh, which is the one that came out in like 92 or 93. That was very helpful for me as far as improvisation goes. And I have watched uh, Lewis Johnson's tape on youtube i don't have the actual tape but i have watched that uh series he did uh, on youtube so that was very cool to see and uh it's great learning tools for anyone you know whether you're a beginner or an advanced player and i always recommend those videos good, to, uh, good comedy as uh, well like uh, larry graham's one oh, he's yeah. like oh yeah, oh, yeah. And he just like screams really loud and he's just yeah he's really unpredictable he keeps like giving the drummer oh, yeah. nods it's like it wasn't totally planned out like it's it's just a really fun dvd to watch oh yeah yeah i've seen clips of that on uh facebook and stuff as well and yeah he's a character for sure and 
And that's another reason why I love those guys. They're all so unique in their personalities and their playing in general. So they're very fun to watch and they're very animated and, you know, it's fun music. Funk music is fun at the, at the oh, core, no. isn't it? Yeah. It's so much fun. And, you know, it's just fun to, even if you're not playing, it's just fun to dance to. You know, sometimes I just put it on just to dance to it because it's just, yeah, it just makes you, you happy. <laughs> you just dance around the home, listen to some funk. Yeah, why not? I do. That or go outside and just let loose. I mean, funk just makes you feel good. That's what <laughs> I love about it. It really does. It just uplifts your spirit. You could be having the worst day. You put on a funk track. You're like, you know, you start grooving, moving. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah, it is good for the soul. Uh, and, and when did you start the video thing then? What? Uh, made that kind of what was the inception of making the videos uh that all started i think i started my instagram back in 2014 if i remember correctly and uh when i made one i really had you know no goal in mind or no you know plan about it i never really planned on getting anything out of it other than just the satisfaction of making some videos and doing what I love to do. And uh, that's essentially just what I did whenever I started it. I just started doing my videos. And way back then, you could actually only do 15-second clips. So it was kind of hard at first to uh, really uh, make a good video because you only had 15 seconds yeah. to work with. So I was like, well, I'll just give them the best 15 seconds that I got. So that's usually what I did. But then they changed it where you could do a full 60 seconds, which was very helpful because you know an extra 45 seconds made all the difference in the world so yeah then i just started i just started cranking them out uh they were nothing very special at first it would just be me sitting down and just playing a riff or playing along with a song or doing a cover of the stuff that i'd been playing for the past you know 10 years of my life it's just now i had an outlet to do it so and then eventually you know they started catching on with people i guess uh through the hashtags and all that people started finding them and you know eventually some of them got picked up by some of the bigger pages uh i think there's a page on there called talented musicians they shared a bunch of my videos and uh they had a ton of followers like over hundreds of thousands of people that followed these pages so i started getting exposed to all these people and then you know they started following me I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. You know, I started developing this following and people started uh, watching my stuff. And, you know, I was like, okay, well, I guess I could put some more effort into it, I guess. So once I got more followers and stuff, that's when I kind of started like uh, doing more of the creative stuff and the costumes and all that. Because uh, it was fun to have an audience, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's Especially nice to know people are watching and that kind of drives you on, doesn't it? To maybe put oh, in yeah, exactly. more effort. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people were really into it. I was really like, uh, surprised and taken back by it all really because, you know, I was just doing what I loved. I really didn't think it was anything crazy. And then, you know, all these videos are getting all these tons of views, you know, I'd be getting like anywhere between 80,000 and a hundred thousand views on these videos. And I was like, Whoa, I was like, this is wild. And it was people from like all over the world, you mm. know, you know, all overseas and just every continent and country. I was like, this is pretty wild. I love, you know, it's fun, but you know, I can entertain people. <laughs> it was ever hard to and, keep up uh, with all the messages, like of people when you have a lot of followers, because you probably feel bad. Oh, yeah. You're, like at the start, you were like, oh, it's your, if I, someone messed you, you're like, wow, someone messaged me. Of course, I'll get back to them. 
But at yeah. some point, it must get to a point where you can't get back to everyone and you might feel a bit bad about that. Yeah, I mean, it did get to that point because, you know, I mean, I always try to respond to everyone's comments and everything because uh, I do appreciate people that uh, take the time to leave an encouraging comment or whatever, you know, even people will go out of their way to message me and all that. But like you said, sometimes it's just piled up and like, you know, can't get back to everyone. So I kind of had to, you know, go through them and figure out what I could respond to and what I couldn't. And uh, I always had to check though, because, you know, it could always be someone important sometimes, you know, like Aquaman or Jason Momoa. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta respond to those people. Just ignore him or they... court guitars or PV and you just ignore them. They're like, he's that guy's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when it's the companies and stuff, I usually try and get back to them pretty fast. Cause you know, they're the ones that want to do business. Hmm. I mean, not to say that your everyday average person isn't important because they are, I do appreciate them, but you know, obviously I've gotten, to do a lot of stuff with the company so it's important to get back to them and you know be professional with them and was, you know, that's was where you the, get the opportunities yeah told was it the seinfeld video was the first one that hit big got the got really got a lot of views and kind of got you the most exposure yeah yeah that was one of my bigger ones for sure i think i think before that i had a few chili pepper ones that i did that were kind of went viral i did a i think a top 10 flea slap one which is how jason momoa found me Mm. Uh, I did a uh, the Californication album playthrough in 60 seconds. That was a, a big one. That did like 300,000 views on Instagram or something like that. So those ones always did really well because they were chili peppers. And that's the kind of stuff people come on there to watch. Yeah, so Those ones did really well. But yeah, the Seinfeld one, that one really blew up. And uh, like I said, I think some page or something on Facebook shared it and ended up getting like, you know, like 3 million some views or something crazy like that. And I was just like, whoa. <laughs> and uh, I think even the guy, Jonathan Wolf, that wrote the theme song back in 1989, like saw it and commented on it. was like, hey, I wrote this theme song. I was like, whoa. On a keyboard even, wild. wasn't it? It was like a, a yeah. keyboard with a slap sound, wasn't it, that he played it? Yeah, it was, Seinfeld was all keyboard, which people I've, always make sure to tell you. I've never actually learned it. it. Are the shapes that... When you learn it, when you play it on a, a real bass, are the shapes a bit strange or are they kind of just normal anyway? They are to an extent. I mean, it's a little different than, you know, your average bass line, but for the most part, it's it's it's, it's not that different. I mean, it's, it's like that it was it written works. For, for bass, for electric bass, not, yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. bizarre like stretches or anything. No, it's nothing out of the ordinary. I think he just wrote it on the keyboard because it was just, Cause that's what he composed on. So it was just mm-hmm. easy for him to sit down with a keyboard and write something that it was a bass. But uh, it's funny too, because anytime I post that video, you know, all the music junkies out there, they always make sure to tell you that it was written <laughs> on a keyboard and it was not bass. I'm like, yes, I've only read that comment like 200 times in the past, like, hour i get it someone <laughs> so probably, like, doesn't mean you go, can't play someone's going to type it below in the comments before i mention it they're going that was on keyboard <laughs> yeah, someone's already probably typing it right now as we speak that's right but but no that video did really well i just think just because seinfeld was such a big pop mm. culture thing and still is and the theme song itself is such a big iconic thing especially for bass players and that and it was just one of those things that was just so weird you couldn't I think a lot of people said in the comments, it's one of those things that's like gives you nightmares, but you can't look away, you know? And I got <laughs> yeah, that, was, I got that Seinfeld mask. <laughs> yeah, the mask. It is. Yeah. I picked that up on eBay for like five bucks. I was like, I'm going to do a Seinfeld cover. I'm like, I got to go all out. It's a theme. <laughs> I'm also do the costumes. I was like, 
you know, I put on the Jerry Seinfeld garb and then like I got the green screen with the, uh, his apartment and everything. And it just looked really good. And I was like, this just works. Cause it's just, <laughs> it's just so weird, but it's just so great at the same time. So I think the mask definitely helps with the viralness because it's not every day you see someone wearing a creepy Jerry Seinfeld mask playing the theme song. It, so it was just, actually pretty creepy. <laughs> so yeah. would it be safe to say that you're officially Jason Momoa's bass teacher? Is that? Um, yeah, that's what he refers to me as his bass coach. So, you know, I mean, anytime he wants to learn something, he, he lets me know. And I taught him a good many things. I mean, like I said, he was over in uh, Budapest whenever we first started doing the videos and, mm. and he found me. And uh, I wasn't at first, I didn't know how serious he was about learning. But, uh, you know, I messaged him back and told him, you know, I'll teach you whatever. And, you know, he got back to me within a day and was like, yeah, I want to learn this. Uh, teach me whatever you can. So, yeah, I just started sending him little 60 second like clips of, um, you know, Chili Pepper stuff and all the songs he wanted to, to learn. Mm. And uh, he's very much a visual learner. Yeah. Uh, he's told me that he he doesn't really understand how music works as in all the notes and letters and all that. Mm-hmm. So he's much more of a visual person. He needs to see your uh, fingers and your hands and what you're doing. Yeah. And he, he can, he really catches on that way and he's very much rhythmically inclined. So he just gets it. You don't roll him. He's, he doesn't practice do you. you don't be like Jason. Exactly. I'm not going to teach you anymore. If you don't practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Don't want to roast off a man. Not at all. <laughs> Uh, but no, he's really, he's really passionate about it. And, uh, he, he's a very fast learner. He's actually really great at slap stuff. Uh, most bass players, at least, uh, from the ones I've dealt with and taught, you know, they kind of struggle with the slap end and the fingering kind of comes easier to them. Whereas it's kind of the opposite with him since he's so much into the rhythm of it all. Mm. He's really good at slapping and he like gets that really well and he can do it great where he kind of has a harder time with like the finger style. But uh, so it was fun to teach him all the slap licks, especially the chili pepper stuff, because there's so many great slap things that you can learn from the chili peppers. And um, so I taught him a ton of those, which was great. And he picked up on, and, you know, he kind of sent me back videos and be like, you know, here's me playing, you know, here's my progress. And, you know, I'd send him a few more. So that kind of went on for a couple months. And then, uh, and then I found out he was coming to my hometown over here, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to film a Netflix movie. And uh, I decided, hey, all I can do is shoot him a message and see if we can hang out. The worst he can say is no. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I ended up telling him, I was like, hey, you're coming to my hotel here in a couple months. If you want to get together and like play some bass or whatever, uh, you know, that'd be great. And uh, he got back to me and he was just so stoked that I lived here where he was coming like really excited. Like I was blown away at how excited he was to come over here and uh, Mm. meet me and, and play bass, you know? And uh, yeah, he came here and uh, it was around November of 2019. And uh, I think within the first um, couple of days of him being here, you know, I was meeting up with him and I was downtown eating a steak dinner with him and discussing bass and, all that. So he took me back to his place. Yeah. His apartment and showed me all his bases. I mean, he brought all his vintage stuff. He brought a 51 Fender P bass. He brought two Paisley bases, a 68 and a 69 Fender Paisley. Uh, He had a vintage was like a 59 
Gibson, Les Paul. So he had all the toys with him and I was just blown <laughs> away. I mean, he just treated me like I was his best friend and, you know, uh, he just wanted to hang out and play bass. That's, and that's what we did. did. Few, is that when you did the skits, was it? I know you, you, he was like playing you and you were playing him. In like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty much, yeah, that was pretty much all his idea. Uh, we came up with that one night uh, that he was going to be me and I was going to be him. So at the time I didn't have the beard. So uh, we made the decision to uh, draw a beard on me with mascara and Sharpie. So that, <laughs> that was very interesting. <laughs> so we did that. We did the whole skit and uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, he's just such a energetic goofball. Like it's hard to keep up with him. I noticed but, that. Yeah, uh, he's always kind of, uh, you, there's a video where you're playing Enter Sandman. He's getting loads of free stuff. Oh, he's yeah. Like, he's like a child at Christmas. He's like that Nintendo kid, the guy who got Nintendo for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. He's like going that's, crazy. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. And uh, he was always like that. So, you know, sometimes I just didn't know what to say. I was just like, whoa, it's really happening. It was just wild. But yeah, always 110% energy, which is great because it really, you know, kind of like, I don't know, it just motivates you and encourages you and just, just makes you happy. So that's it. He's a that's very a serious guy. notch in your belt, like teaching Jason Momoa. That's great, man. Oh yeah, it's 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 cool to say. Like, hey, I taught Aquaman those licks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, you know, it's really cool too because he's very down to earth. And like I say, he's very humble, and uh, he's probably the least uh, Hollywood person you'll ever meet. Uh, mm. I mean, I, he's the only one I've met, but <laughs> yeah. you know, he spent a bit I mean, of time here, really, right, when he was filming Game of Thrones, and I know. He was sleeping yeah. back of a van or something doing road trips. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I read that, uh, you know, he didn't really even have enough money to uh, get home. So, I mean, he has very humble beginnings and uh, it's cool to see where he's gotten now and, he's, you know, gotten all the big uh, superhero roles and done all that. And, uh, you know, he's come a long way. So I'm happy to see him doing well and if he keeps glad he picked up. me as his base coach. Sorry, I just turn off those speakers. Yeah, well, if he keeps practicing, you know, he might give up the, the acting, <laughs> become a bass player. Hey, you never know. He's definitely got the hair for it. So <laughs> I could definitely see him being in a, a metal band. He loves his metal, so I could definitely see him doing that. <laughs> One of the other big opportunities that came, I saw you were you were at the PV stand for, like, NAM for an entire nam festival there one year, like, and you were, like, slapping for about four or five hours a day. Oh, like, Yeah. Yeah, that was a ton of fun. That was back in uh, Nam in 20, 2019, yeah, over in Anaheim. Uh, yeah, PV um, called me up and said, hey, do you want to do this? We'll fly you out. We'll pay for everything. All you got to do is come to our booth and demo our stuff. So that's what I did. I mean, man, I felt like a rock star. I got my plane paid for, my hotel paid for, flew out to California, and that uh, was a great experience. It was my first time there. Uh, basically all I had to do all day was just play bass and, uh, you know, demo their stuff, their basses and their Trace Elliott stuff and their PV amps. And it was a great experience. A lot of fun. Got to meet a ton of cool people. I even got to meet a lot of people from, uh, Instagram and stuff that followed me. Really? Yeah. I met a few of them out there. Yeah. It was cool. They, you know, came up and got their pictures with me and everything, you know? Uh, but yeah, I was playing a lot of bass, you know, uh, four day event ran from Thursday through Sunday. So I was just playing a lot. You know, you take breaks in between and all that, but nonetheless, you're playing for a good bit of time over the course of those what four days. What was the repertoire? Was it back and tracks and you were just slapping along with them and or were you 
just playing stuff without any backing track? A little bit of both. Uh, I would do a lot of improvisation and just different like little bass solos and slap stuff. Cause that will, you know, that got people's attention, you know, and uh, really put the products in the spotlight as far as the tone and all that. Mm. But uh, I did take some backing tracks whenever I would get tired of doing the bass solos or whatever I'd put on like a, you know, some of my stuff from my album or I'd do some uh, just 70 stuff or I'd do some chili pepper stuff just to mix it up a bit. And I did jam a lot with their uh, guitar player and uh, amp builder. Uh, he was great, great player, great at improvising. So it was just a lot of fun to play with him. Really easy to play with him. We, we really connected well musically. Mm-hmm. So we do jam sessions. So it was a good mix of everything. We got to do the jam sessions uh, together. Then I'd do something by myself, solo or something. Then I'd do some of the backing tracks. So that was really the schedule throughout the day. Uh, and then I take a break and I just, you know, help people with the products, talk about them. Uh, got to meet a few rock stars. You know, that was cool. Uh, Michael Anthony, formerly of Van Halen yeah, was there. Nice class. So he, he came in, uh, he was real nice, signed some autographs. And then, uh, big one for me was meeting Doug Wimbish who, uh, plays with living color. Yeah. He's one of my favorite bands. And, uh, he came up to the booth one day, I got my picture with him and everything. And then uh, I think it was the last day, Sunday maybe, he came up again and uh, he wanted to hear some of the Trace Elliott stuff. So I actually got to play for him and demo the products, which was just like a dream come true because it was just like, Howard and you know, here's one of my favorite. <laughs> Howard and Herbs uh, were not. Yeah. Yeah. They actually weren't too bad because I think I was already like in the groove and like, you know, he was there and I was already doing my thing. So I was just like, I'm just going to do what I've been doing. And um yeah, I got to play for him. It was just a dream come true because here's one of my favorite bass players, you know, who's, you know, bass playing and, and records I've heard in my car stereo so many times. And now he's right in front of me and I, I get to play for him. I made sure not to play any living color things because, you know, I didn't want to be like, oh, hey, you know this one? Oh, yeah, you wrote it. So yeah, he's didn't want to do any of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just played a few riffs and everything. And he was super encouraging, super nice and super humble, just a great guy. And, mm. You know, he told me it sounded great, you know, every, you know, my playing was great and all that. He gave me a big hug. You know, I think I have a picture of it on my Instagram somewhere. So that was just a great moment for me and a very encouraging moment for me. And, you know, it's just cool to see people like that, that just, you know, they don't act like rock stars, even mm-hmm. though they're, they are, but, you know, they treat themselves just like anyone else. And, you know, so nice to me. And it was just great to see. And, you know, I really appreciated it. It was just a super cool moment for me. So, yeah. uh, will you be working with PV again or was that just a once off probably uh, I'm always doing stuff with them mm. uh, it's nothing official I don't have like a contract with them or anything but you know I do have a good relationship with them and Fred the guy that runs it and all that and uh, they've sent me a lot of gear I've gotten a demo and you know put in my videos so it's, it's great stuff too it's not stuff yeah. that uh, I don't you know I like it so it's easy to market it and promote it and uh so yeah usually anytime they got something new coming out you know they'll message me or whatever and say hey got this we'll send you something over so so yeah i mean uh nam could happen again i know they've had to cancel the last few because of covid and all that but uh it's always a possibility in the future to go back which i'd totally do it again it was a lot of fun it's very um it's very brutal though on the fingers yeah, you know, by the end of the show there yeah by the end of the show i had some pretty big blood blisters and my fingers were just tore up and i know 
like Sunday night, it was just hard to play when Sunday came around, like day four, it was just, it was painful to play, <laughs> you know? But That's when you get got to, through you it. need to play with your pick then to stop slapping. Oh and yeah. Pick playing maybe. Yeah. That's when you, yeah, that's when you need to bust out the pick. I was ready for the pick by the end of the, the end of the show because it was just, I'd never played that many days in a row for that long each day. So yeah, very brutal, but got through it and just had some battle scars. That's all. Hey, that's a good experience though. You know, the battle scars are important. Oh. And recording your album, Milky Way Moon Juice, did I say it right? Yeah, um, that's it. Did, that, was that something you've been working on for years or did it happen fair, finish fairly quickly from inception like um the idea uh, came pretty fast i always wanted to do a funk album uh the name milky way moon juice had always been in the back of my head ever since i was like a teenager i was like well if i ever do a funk album it's gonna be called milky way moon juice i didn't quite have the concept or the idea at that point i just knew that's what i wanted it to be called so i figured well I have all these followers and I have this, you know, big thing going on Instagram. I was like, now's the time to do an album and release music because people will buy it because I'm, you know, I'm red hot right now. So if there was ever a time to do something like this. It was now. So I was like, I'm just going to do it and just record it all myself and just mix it and do everything myself. So that's what I did. It I, sounds um, really good. I, I actually would thought that you had other musicians on it and you had it per- mixed by like professionals. Like oh. it's, well, you are a professional, <laughs> but you know no, what I mean? No. <laughs> but well, thank I, like, you, yeah. Even on my phone, like, the mix was perfect. I could hear all the instruments, and there wasn't a lot of time. There's too much bass a lot of the time, but it was perfect, like. Yeah, yeah, did it all myself. My older brother helped me a little bit because uh, he's very much into uh, studio work and engineering. That's kind of what he went to school for. Mm. So I had him help me mix a few of the tracks, but for the most part, I mixed it all myself. Um like I said, once I had the idea down, it, it all flowed out pretty fast. Uh, I always wanted to do two kind of like a movie soundtrack. That's what it kind of became for me, a movie soundtrack to a movie that plays out and exists in your head. And that was the, always the idea behind it. It's a concept album, mm. so it tells a story. It reminds me of The uh, Mighty Boosh, this uh, English TV show. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. I've never seen that. Basically, there's a character check it out, called Old Greg. And he he gets the funk and he start he steals the funk, and it's all about the funk. Oh, Not yeah? that it's a ripoff, but the sense of humor and uh, in it yeah. is similar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It sounds pretty similar. Um, yeah, that's that's totally what I, what I was going for. I wanted something that was, you know, good musically that people could appreciate on a musical standpoint, and I also wanted something that was creative and entertaining that, regardless of whether you like music or not, you would still kind of be drawn to it and enjoy mm-hmm. it. So, and I, lo- I love telling stories. I've always, I always have ideas churning in my head and all these crazy ideas and stories going and I have a very vivid imagination. So I was like, well, I need to incorporate that into this album. And that's what I did. You know, I came up with this story that, you know, kind of that the funk's gone and, uh, and music's outlawed and all that stuff. And it's been taken away by these evil people that are now running the world, which in the, on the album, they're called the higher power. So and I just wanted to, to take people on an adventure. And that's essentially what it is. You know, you start off, you know, you're, you're blasting off in this rocket and you got to go through space. You got to get the Milky Way moon juice. You got to drink it. And then you got to bring it back for everyone else to drink it. So they get their musical powers back, funk powers, so you can save the world. So that's kind of the journey the album takes. And, uh, 
each piece of music repre represents a different portion of the story, you know, as you go along and um, a lot of it's instrumental. So the music had to really, you know, represent the visualization that I was seeing in my head. It had to represent that, you know, much like a movie soundtrack, you know, the different pieces represent different parts of the story very well. So that's what I needed to do. So there's some, it's a lot of fun tracks in there. I had a lot of fun writing and recording it. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. Like, and as well, you were kind of stretching out to musical directions that you never would do in your, your skit videos. Like, your lovely like, yeah. atmospheric stuff and different yeah. kind of stuff that you I never would have heard you doing in your other videos. Right. Because a lot of the stuff on social media, it's more geared towards, you know, the entertainment aspect of it. Mm. And it's just something for people to enjoy for 60 seconds. Whereas, you know, this stuff, I could really sit down and really explore different realms of my musical brain and, and all of that. So I ended up buying a synthesizer and stuff for that album. And, uh, really enjoyed playing that and, and getting to learn all the different synth sounds and kind of experiment with that. I'm definitely not a keyboard player or synth player, but I can definitely, you know, if I can sit down and just like experiment and, you know, do it that way, uh, I can make it work. So that's kind of what I did. So that was fun writing different parts on that. And then, um, you know, obviously I got to do the guitar and stuff and that was fun because normally I, I don't play guitar in any of my videos. So, I definitely don't consider myself a guitar player, a lead guitar player or anything, but I mean, I know enough to at least be able to, you know, record and, and, and create different melodies and stuff. So yeah. that's what I did. And especially the funk stuff, it's all that chucking they call it and really it is, rhythmic yeah, playing, which I... It's just rhythms under the bass. Like the bass is more the lead instrument yeah, in the funk. like Right. Right. And that's what I... I enjoy that a lot. I enjoy you know, creating unique bass lines when kind of having that really, you know, funky rhythmic guitar going underneath of it which a lot of the songs are and that's what really like we said that's what funk is so uh yeah it was just it was a lot of fun it's a lot of fun to explore different sounds and different textures and putting it all together uh, and also creating a very you know outer spacey vibe it had to have that too because most of the story is taking place in outer space so it kind of had it had to have that sound and that's really where the synthesizer came into play mm. because a lot of it too was a homage to um, you know all the great '80s sci-fi movies and soundtracks yeah. like uh, Blade Runner. So Blade Runner was a big inspiration for the the soundtrack, the Blade Runner. As far as what I, what I was doing with the synth, that was big mm. because that that soundtrack has a lot of synth in it, and I I just enjoy the synth, the different sounds because it sounds it's very futuristic. Yeah, and that's the kind of vibe I needed for this. So I got to combine a lot of my favorite things into one big album funk disco creative storytelling and uh good music we put it all into one big package and put it out there and uh people responded to it well they you know i sent a lot of copies overseas i wasn't so sure on the physical copies because i know everyone buys digital music these days and mm. everyone just wants to hit download or stream it but i know there's a lot of people out there that also appreciate the physical copies uh physical media which i do so I had like 50 copies made up or so. And I was surprised. I put it up on eBay uh, for an easy way for people to buy and a ton of people bought it, especially overseas. I ended up sending a copy to Italy. I sent one over to the UK, uh, the Netherlands, Australia. Uh, so it was just very cool, you know? And I sent a little thank you note over mm -hmm. with it. You know, I, I signed, signed the cover of the album for him. 
and send it over. And, you know, I know one guy in Italy has it hanging in his music room, like in a frame with like, you know, the CD and like my little note framed in it. And I was Mm -hmm. just like, that's very cool. It was just like, I never expected it to take off like that. But I was just like, oh, that's, that's really, it's a really good feeling to let people appreciate your music. Yeah, you know, because it's a, it's a great achievement though to finish an album that album all on your own. Like that's so hard, yeah. like to get a ho- get it done without a band to push you along. You know. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a uh, it's a lot of work because you know you're doing everything. You're composing the songs. You're playing every instrument. You're you know you're mixing it. You're putting together all the artwork. Uh, so it's definitely a lot more work than, like you said, if you were in a band with other people or you were on a record label, uh, because you know they take care of all that for you. Whereas, you know, you would just go in and play your part on your instrument. Whereas now you're doing like 50 different things to get this all finished. But uh, honestly, once the process started, it, it it all flowed very well, and everything came out naturally. I wasn't like forcing any of the music out. Uh, so that was really nice because, you know, a lot of times you, sometimes you'll get into a creative funk or, you know, you won't have an idea or you'll just be sitting there and like, well, I don't know what part to play here or what to do. But every time I sat down something would just come to me Mm. and I know it's the part that I should be playing and recording usually whenever it's just the first thing that I play. Yeah. It's not always the first thing, but most of the time, the first thing that I come up with and play, that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's like I said, it comes out naturally. You're not you intellectual, think about isn't it? it? You're just it's yeah, exactly. The brain is coming out, not the the other side that yeah. would be thinking about the shapes and the theory or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's uh, and now that you say that and bring that up, that's very much how I function as a musician. Uh, and I always tell that to people too, people that are learning. You know, I tell them not to don't use your brain too much. You're you know, when you're, when you're playing music, I mean, you have to, to an extent, you know, uh, to figure things out and all that. And there's a lot of intellectual stuff that goes into music theory, but, you know, I always tell people, you know, play, play from here, play from your heart, play from your spirit, because that's always where the best music comes from. And that's where the most natural music comes from. And that's where it's going to flow from most naturally. And that's how I've always played. And that's how I've always approached music. Uh, no matter what I'm playing or who I'm playing with or where I'm playing. Uh, Because if you use too much of your brain, you get too technical with it, it kind of loses its luster. Uh, And you, you know, you're just, you become robotic in your playing and that doesn't make for good music. It could, but it doesn't make for soulful music. No. You know, whereas if you're just playing from your heart, you know, and you can always tell the people that do that, as opposed to the people that are kind of more robotic about it. So I've always played like that. And that's why I've always enjoyed improvisation and the jam sessions and stuff with people, because it's just, it's on the spot and it's coming out naturally. You're not you know, playing something that's written on a sheet of music, which is fine too. I, I did that for many years in jazz band and stuff in high school. Uh, it's good to know music theory and it's good to read and all that. There's a time and place for that. Uh, but I've never, never dove into all that as much as some other people. Uh, I think it, it's great to know the basics. It's great to know the fundamentals, but I don't think, you know, a lot of the stuff that's out there, I just don't think you just don't need to know it. It's just a lot of it's useless. 
unless you are playing like, you know, in some crazy jazz band or, or you know, composing classical music. It depends. So, like I said, what, there's a, depends on your direction you're going really, doesn't it? Like, you know, exactly, exactly. And, uh, that stuff's great. If you want to be a teacher. Yeah. That's, that's great to know that stuff to teach other people and all that. And for someone like me, it's just, you know, playing in church or just making videos or something, you know, you know, I'm drawn more towards, towards the uh, spiritual side of music and all that. And, uh, always have been and probably always will be. So. Mm. It's, it's hard to access that kind of musical brain at the moment. You know, I find like when I jam with my band, my hands don't go into the same, the old shapes because I'm not really, I'm, I'm reacting from what they're doing. And then I end up playing more interesting parts instead of the same pentatonic yeah. runs I always play. But yeah. then when you're at home, you just fall into your old tropes. But that's that's yeah. how I find it at the moment because there's not like jamming. Are you finding that as well? You're falling into your, your tropes or can you break out of that and still get into a musical jam on your own? It depends on the day, really. I mean, sometimes when I'm playing by myself, you know, I'll sit down, you know, I will fall into that thing where it's just like, oh, I've played this a million times and there's nothing going on here. Uh, and other days, you know, I'll be playing something and I'll be like, oh, this sounds really nice. And it just starts flowing. Uh, and what I find is it's, it's, it's great to have a loop pedal, at least for me. I know that helps me, you know, get so much more creative and, um, mm. you know, play more interesting stuff when I, when I sit down with my loop pedal and, you know, just layer stuff. And that's, uh, that's what I've been doing a lot lately. Because uh, I know if I'm just playing by myself with, with, with just one, you know, one bass and one part going on. Yeah. You tend to just like kind of just play the same old stuff. Whereas if you're creating something like a loop or whatever, your, your brain thinks a little differently and, you know, you start to play a little differently because you're, you're creating different layers and rhythms mm. and, you know, you're creating a baseline, a base foundation, and then you're, you know, creating a melody over top of that. And then you're creating harmony over top of that. So I always recommend people to, you know, get a loop pedal and just, you know, explore with different things and different styles and different methods of playing, because that really helps. Um, but yeah, there are days when there's nothing there and it's not necessarily because you're having a bad day or anything like that, or you, you suddenly suck at playing music. It's just, there's just, there's just nothing there. You, you, you know? go down to the well <laughs> and it's dry. <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah, ex exactly. That's exactly what happens. And, uh, like you said, it helps you to play with your bandmates or just friends uh, and get together and jam and play off of them because, you know, everyone has different musical styles and mm -hmm. everyone, you know, mixes differently when they play together. So that's always great for learning and exploring different styles. And that's why I love getting together with my buddies and stuff and playing. And I'll actually be doing that this weekend, getting together with my brother and a couple other friends that will be jamming and playing. Uh, and I know there's a buddy of mine that lives down the road he's a drummer and we we always get together and you know try and play and jam over the summer so we'll be doing that and that's just fun too yeah it's just fun to jam with your friends i mean or your band or whoever and just play stuff i mean it doesn't have to be for a show or no, it doesn't no. even have to be for social media you know just to play music it just feels great yeah. <laughs> i know? think a lot of people appreciate that now once things get back to normal you'll be like you'll be texting your friends do you want to just go for a jam They're like would you won't even they won't even wonder why to be like yeah definitely i'd love to just have oh, a jam yeah. without a gig in mind or with any other reason apart from like when you were teenagers you'd always you're just hanging out with your friends and oh, jamming yeah. that was there was no other purpose really like oh yeah 
that was most of my teenage years is just getting together with my friends and just jamming and playing music because there was no none of the social media back then so it was just like we weren't doing it for that we were just getting together to play music because we loved it I mean it was fun and uh yeah like you said with, especially after all this COVID stuff I mean I know a lot of people will be yearning to get together and play music and not only play music but just see music and see live yeah. music again I'm really hoping by the end of this year we start to see more and more concerts and stuff pop up yeah i know people are really dying to see it and the musicians too i know they're probably dying to get back on stage and do their thing yeah i did one two it's weeks been... ago and it was just to one person it was a video recording but my friend was able to come to it and i could even see the joy on his face <laughs> the one person yeah. in the crowd he was so happy yeah. to, and, and we were so happy to get to play a gig like it was just awesome yeah i mean i know there's so many people that are just ready to get back out there and start doing it and uh i mean there's nothing like live music no i mean you can watch videos and all that but it's nothing like the feeling of live music and going to a concert and just hearing the bass and everything just hits you in the chest and just yeah it's just a great feeling and uh so i'm excited to see it see it make a comeback here do you ever meet these people um that love like I, I, my band we kind of an, an audience be a little bit older you meet these people who just love music more than than I love music more more than the musicians on stage love music oh, they're yeah. just obsessed they give you some energy those people you're like you'd meet them oh, at yeah. a blues festival they've been at it for yep. four days they've seen every band they're still loving every bit of music personally I'd need a break I'd be like oh I've heard enough bands now yeah. I need to go sit in a quiet room and give my, my brain a rest but these people oh. just live for music they they give you energy i think oh yeah especially when they come to your shows and stuff yeah yeah there's some people that just they're not even musicians you know they're just people that just love music and they just eat sleep and and breathe it really and uh you know i think that's great uh like you said me personally uh i tend to need a break from it you know I need to go and rest my brain and rejuvenate myself. You do. I definitely get refreshed then, like take a break. And if you don't play bass for like a week or two, you're like, God, I feel like something's missing in my life. Oh yeah. I need yeah. to pick up the bass. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I do take a break, you know, it's never, it's never a long break, but you know, it'll be a few days or whatever, but I think it is good because I think that helps too with your creativity. Once you step away from something for a little bit and then come back kind of your, creative juices get flowing again which is nice so you know, i always recommend to people just to take a little breather here and there you know refresh yourself mm. but uh yeah definitely a lot of those people out there that just love music i mean they just like i said they just go to every concert you know they'll travel to all the festivals and everything and just like man <laughs> you gotta really love it <laughs> which is great yeah they're me amazing. i'm like i'm like an yeah i'm like an introvert so i'm like you know one con one or a couple concerts a year is good for me and i want to go back in my cave and just like be by myself you know you know that a lot of musicians are like that so thank god that the people who love music are more extroverted and they, they'll come see the kids <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i mean put me on a stage i'm fine you know totally extroverted you know i can mm. let myself loose but like when i'm in the crowd i'm like yeah it's like okay get away from me like <laughs> and do you, think a, do you think you have a second album in you jake would you go for another album or is was the one enough like 
oh, I always think uh, down the road I'll probably do something again. I mean, people are always asking me, you know, are you going to do another album? Eventually. You know, when I have the time and when I feel it's right. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure on people, especially the social media people that are always putting themselves out there. I think there's a lot of pressure on them in this day and age to constantly release music, constantly release singles. And that's what I see a lot of people doing just so they can stay relevant and uh, you know, have people keep listening to stuff. And uh, I, I just don't want to do that because uh, it's just it's just a lot to constantly be writing and recording stuff and releasing singles. And I just think, I don't know, I think that loses its luster too. Cause it's like, you know, every other month you get, you got a single coming out or whatever. It's just like yeah. me, I'd rather just write one good album every couple of years with like, you know, 10 or 12 songs on it and say, here's the best I got right now. Enjoy it for the next couple of years. I'll see ya. Yeah. You know, I'll course, see you later. One track featuring Aquaman has to be done. Yes. It's essential. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to get him on the next album. You know, probably be a good selling point too, a good marketing. Get in tool the shit. Get have in a the lot shade. more sales that way. Yeah, you would. That, so what's the, <laughs> yeah. you have to be in the shed. So what's the plans for the future? You're just gonna keep releasing videos and eventually you'll get an album out. But and you you kind of have a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. You're saying so you're always kind of working with companies and doing little promotions and stuff all the time. That's kind of happening in the background, is it? Yeah, that's pretty much the plan. I mean. I just kind of take it day by day, you know, obviously going to still do the videos. I mean, that's why people tune in and watch me. So going to keep pumping those out. Uh, like we just talked about maybe another record down the line. And then uh, I'm just going to keep working with these companies and doing marketing stuff. Um, that's really what I enjoy because I can do it on my own schedule. I can do it when I feel like it. There's no pressure to mm. uh, do anything. There's no obligation to, you know, do anything. And uh, that's what I really enjoy about it the most, I think, because that's just like I do what I love and the opportunities always just come along, whether yeah. I'm trying or not. You know, they kind of just keep happening. So I'm really grateful for that. And uh, I'm really grateful for all the people out there that continue to watch me all these years later and support me. Um, so it's just it's just nice to have the following and the audience and uh it's nice to have been able to work with such great companies and people and do the things that I've done. So that's really just what I'm going to keep doing in the future. Mm -hmm. That's great. Pumping it out and whatever comes along, comes along. And it's, yeah. it's pretty, pretty much positive for you. Uh, so this social media thing, like you haven't had too many negatives from it. Like you don't get burned yeah. out from it. You're, you're a bit chilled out about it. You release stuff when you feel, and that kind of is how you're able to be healthy with it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's how I kind of, you know, keep myself healthy about it. Uh, Cause like I said, I think there's a, sometimes when you get these big followings and stuff, I think there's a certain pressure on, on you uh, to, to go above and beyond all the time and uh, to constantly please people and stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I always try to remain humble about it. And it's like, you know, I, just, I always tell myself, you know, it's, it's just social media. It's nothing that I have to go crazy over. Uh, so I just do it at my own leisure. You know, I don't have like a schedule or anything that I go by where like, I'm going to post this today. I got to post this today. I got to do that. Like, 
you know, some of these people take social media very seriously mm. and they take their, their pages very seriously and all that, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with yeah. doing that and being professional, but I'm not one of those people. It's like, I'm professional about it in the way that I conduct myself and, and do business and all that. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's just something I love to do. And it's what I enjoy to do. So I don't have to try hard. And I, you know, I don't pressure myself into, you know, always having to put content out there. Cause it's like, if people want to continue to follow me and, and watch me, that's fine. If they don't, if they get bored with me, Hey, you know, whatever, you know, it's just, it's just Instagram. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not like a professional job I got going on here. No, where that's like a lot of people do it as a profession. It is a lot of pressure to, they, they burn out on oh, you yeah. because they have to keep it going to make a living. Like yeah. That. That's what I say. And you know, it's, it's, it's hard, especially for the YouTubers and all that. I mean, they constantly have to put out the content and stuff. So I think that's why I'm happy that um, I don't have that pressure because mm. I think I, I think I would get burnt out. I, I think I wouldn't enjoy playing as much because it would become more of a chore to just like, Oh, well, I got to do another video today. Mm. <laughs> Whereas I can sit down and say, Oh, this idea popped into my head and I really want to do it. So I'm going to do it, you know, as opposed to kind of being forced to put it out there because yeah. it's, I got to get paid for my streams or I got to get paid for my video views. So it's nice not to have that kind of obligation aspect of it where I can just do it more to my own leisure and just enjoy it more. Yeah. And on gear, I saw a picture of this shell pink base going around. Is that, that's yours, is it? The, um, yeah. That's it's a new my baby. most recent one. I, <laughs> it is. It's my newest baby. The one I just got, uh, I picked that up last year. It's a, uh, custom built, uh, fender reissue. It's based on the 1958 precision base. So it's kind of built to those specs and it has the gorgeous shell pick finish on it, which I just love. I love all the classic Fender colors. Yeah. They're amazing. All the pastels, you know, the Olympic white and, you know, uh, shell pink and, uh, all the blues and seafoam green and all that. I just, I love that era of Fender and I love those bases. I think they're the greatest bases ever made. Uh, they're simple. There's nothing crazy about them. They're just simple, great instruments that have held the test of time. Mm. So that's really what I gravitate towards in my gear of the classics. You know, got two jazz bases, two 60s reissue jazz bases. I got the 58 shell pink precision, which we're just talking about. Um, and then I got the, the Ernie Ball Stingray. And then I got the modulus bass, which is a lot of fun. That's the graphite neck flea bit. It's kind of, is that a flea bass or yeah. just a modulus similar to what flea would play well yeah it's 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 the flea model mm -hmm. i think they they stopped calling it the flea model after their contract or whatever kind of split mm -hmm. back in the early 2000s but yeah that is the flea model that's uh, the one he's toured with from like the late 90s all the way up until you know the late 2000s here so it's a great base the graphite neck is incredible it's great because it never needs adjusted uh, you know, it doesn't expand or contract or any of that since it's not wood. So that, that bass is just phenomenal. It plays like butter and it's just got a great tone, you know, it's kind of similar tone to the Stingray as far as, you know, it's what it's based on is the Stingray mm -hmm. with the big humbucker, single humbucker, but it's just so boisterous and it just cuts through the mix really well. And that, uh, which is why Flea loves it so much, but. It does really sound great with anything, especially funk, especially yeah. for the slap stuff. It's it a lot of attack, it? So it has a lot of attack yeah. as a base. A lot of attack and a lot of clarity. 
you know, especially with the graphite neck, it has a ton of just, it's very balanced throughout the neck. I mean, every note is just crisp and clear. There's no dead spots. So it's, it's great. It's a little hard to control when I'm recording because it's so, it's, you know, it runs on two uh, nine volt batteries. It's active base. Okay. So it's got a lot of power and a lot of volume. Hmm. So it's kind of harder to control in a studio setting, which is why I kind of gravitate more towards the fenders, the passive bases, because they just, they sound great in the studio and in the mix, they just set so well. I mean, for any genre of music, and that's why they're heard on so many of our favorite records. Mm. So I usually tend to, I like the Stingray and the Modulus, I like for live playing, whereas if I'm sitting down to record something, I usually tend to prefer the P basses or the jazz basses, just because they, they just sound so great. Especially one jazz bass, I have flat wounds on it. And I mean, it's got that classic old school 60s thump going on, and it's just just sounds phenomenal. There's nothing better than an old school, you know, Fender jazz with uh, the flats on it. It's just this, just a thing of beauty, really. Yeah. Like I have the, the Aerodyne. Did you ever try one of them the Japanese made fenders? I have, I have not. I've always seen those and I, I thought they've, they've always looked great. And I, I can imagine they play and sound oh, really well. They're amazing. They feel so the body is contoured, like curved, kind of like a Les yeah. Paul and um, lovely. Yeah. yeah. You should check one out. I'd say you'd really like them. Yeah, I definitely want to check one of those out in the future. Uh, you just can't go wrong with the Fender stuff. I mean, they have so many great options. And uh, so it's it's really great to be a musician in this day and age because there are there's so many affordable options, especially for beginner players. That's one of the most frequently asked questions I get is like, you know, I'm a beginner bass player. What should I get? Mm. And, you know, I always tell them, you know, just check out a Squire, you know, jazz bass or, uh, you know, even... Music Man's got the lower line, the Sterling subs that are out yeah. for a couple hundred bucks. And, uh, you know, they're not going to play like a thousand dollar instrument, but for beginners, I mean, they look great, they sound great and they're affordable. Mm. And uh, there's just so many great affordable options for people to learn on. And I just think that's awesome that these companies are really stepping up and really making great instruments available at great prices. Yeah, they and, are. Uh, yeah, and this the short scale thing is really after taking off. So a lot of my really young students, I I get them to get short scales, and then they're you know yeah. their, their little hands can fit in perfectly and play the bass lines yeah. way easier. Like oh yeah, yeah, it's great for people with small hands. It's great for you know like chicks or something that have smaller hands. Mm. It's just easier to get around on. I remember I had a um, a short scale flea bass about ten years ago. It was his own line of basses. Those ones he made for a while. But it was short scale and it was it was a lot of fun to play. I mean, it's definitely a different, you know, world because it just feels more like a guitar. Yeah. But it's definitely easier to get around on, you know. And I could see why it'd be so great for people with smaller hands, you know. A little harder for me because I have such big hands. So it's like, you know, in this, you know, a short scale, have, everything's so much closer together. I have this one here. The, and it's, it's called an Alan Woody. Do you ever listen to the Alman oh, Brothers? Yeah. It's his signature one. And, oh, uh, really? It's really fun to play with a pick. It's per because he played. He, yeah. he designed it from the ground up, and he was a pick player himself. Oh, cool. So I find you pl you play a lot of kind of different lines that when you're playing on the short scale yeah. that you wouldn't play usually. Like, right? Yeah, definitely. I know my buddy had a um, a Gretsch bass that was similar to that, and uh, I think it was even like a hollow body. Mm. So yeah, when you get those different types of basses. Um, definitely find yourself playing some different stuff. Um, I know I even borrowed an, uh, 
acoustic bass off my buddy a while ago. And that was just a ton of fun to play. It was a Martin, just beautiful instrument. It just sounded so great. And I was electric acoustic, so you could plug it in too. That was just a lot of fun it's to play. A, it's a strange it's, instrument though, isn't it? Because it's completely useless as an acoustic instrument, apart from practicing at yeah. home. <laughs> and the point of the yeah, bass much. is to back people up, but you can't yeah. back someone up with an acoustic bass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I say too. Unless you're, unless you're doing an all acoustic show, which I know we did a thing at my church uh, last year where it was, we did an acoustic set. So he played, my friend played acoustic. We just had one singer and then I played acoustic bass. So it worked well for that in that setting. It was very cool. But yeah, for the most part, that's why I never got one because there really isn't, like you said, aside from practicing, there's really not much use no. for it. I mean, it's fun to plink around on and play, but I mean, other than that, it's just- It's uh, pretty expensive electric so to clink around on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's very expensive. I know I was looking at a few on online and- you know, they're five, 600 bucks, even for a, a lower line one. So I was just like, yeah, I'm going to pass on this <laughs> since I'm always playing electric. It's like, just going to put more money towards another electric base. So, yeah. You, you can know. never have enough. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Um, is it Instagram where people mainly check you out or Facebook and Instagram there? That's where you hang out. Is it? Yeah. Mostly Instagram and Facebook. I'd say I'm most active on Instagram and they can look at me on there at, uh, just my name it's just at jake gerba it's g-e-r-b-a that's how you spell my last name <laughs> so they can follow me on there and feel the funk on there i mean i'm always on facebook too posting the videos and stuff if they're more uh you know into facebook than instagram they can check me out on there too there are some things on youtube i really don't post any i, I actually saw you playing teen town on youtube i was really impressed i was like oh, oh I yeah i never saw jake playing that style of bass before and you nailed yeah. it like it was cool to see oh, you, thank you branching out and doing something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. Now that you say that, I do remember that I posted that Teen Town video on there. That was a couple of years ago. Um, I probably couldn't play that again right now. <laughs> yeah, if you you, I'd have to relearn like that because that's a, yeah. How do I just lay that? That's a very complicated remember. piece. It is, but it's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Lovely yeah. lines in it. like. Oh, yeah, Jocko. I mean, what a great player. Just took the bass to a, a level that had never been taken to before. And uh, just, yeah, his work was just incredible. That stuff you really need to sit down and like practice and learn because it's, it's hard stuff. So, but I mean, if you ever want to elevate your bass playing, definitely sit down and learn some Jocko Pastorius because you will, <laughs> you know, very fast.